It's good singing. We're going to turn in our Bibles for our scripture reading to the Old Testament. We're turning to Proverbs and the chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25. We're going to commence to read here from the verse 11. I begin each and every day in the book of Proverbs as I would start my own devotions in the morning time. I suppose we all have our own uh, devotion plan. I do hope you have a a plan, a systematic um, plan for reading through the scriptures. I would start in Proverbs each day, then go to the Psalms and then to the New Testament and other portions. But I always begin in Proverbs. A good way to remember is it's a good plan to have in that sense because there are roughly, most months have 30 to 31 days. And of course, there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. So you're able to uh, read a chapter from Proverbs each day. Today was Proverbs chapter 1. It's a good way of also remembering what day of the week you're on. When people ask you the date, you should know from that morning. What I seek to do is to not only to read through Proverbs, but I've, I've memorized, uh, I try to, try to memorize a verse and then more verses from each of the chapters to get right through the book. But it's uh, certainly a tremendous blessing, the book of wisdom. And there's great instruction and knowledge for the child of God. Of course, for anyone. We're going to read here from the verse 11. We read here, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that would send him. For he refresheth the soul of his masters. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. By long forbearing is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomited. Withdraw thy foot from thy neighbour's house, lest he be weary of thee, and so hate thee. A man that beareth false witness against his neighbour is a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow. That word maul is a a word in our English language that has uh, been depleted. It's now obsolete. It's an old English word and it speaks of the battle axe or the club. Then verse 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. And you think of the broken tooth and the pain that it causes. Not only does it cause pain, but you're not able to eat on it. In other words, you can't use it the way it ought to be used. And the comparison there is made with putting confidence in an unfaithful man. Verse 20 as he that taketh away a garment in cold weather, and as vinegar upon nitre, so is he that singeth songs to an heavy heart. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman and in a white house. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. A righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. It is not good to eat much honey, 
So for men to search their own glory is not glory. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Amen. We'll end our reading at the verse 28. We trust and pray that the Lord will take his word that he will write it on all of our hearts this evening for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you very much for the words of welcome. It's a joy to be with you today. Counted a real privilege to share with you, especially on your Children's Day. Wonderful to see the young people gathered out and participating. That was a real blessing. I suppose the more you work with people who are caught up in addiction, the more you really do appreciate the time that is put into children and seeking to reach them with, for the gospel. Uh, you see, most of my time is spent with, in fact, not most of it, all of it is spent around addicts. And uh, it seems as if um, you're just continually working with people who are caught up in the depths of addiction. Of course, their problem is not drugs, their problem is sin. And uh, the drugs is but an outworking of their sinful heart. They need set free from the power of that sin. Of course, Christ alone is able to make the They've been greatly encouraged in the ministry and in the work. It is, as you would appreciate, a very difficult work. Addicts make all the promises to change, but they don't deliver. They have all the best intentions. They're going to do this, that and the other, but they don't, of course, deliver. Uh, addiction is a very selfish thing. And it's all about the addict, what they can get, how much drugs they can get, etc. And they don't, really don't care about anybody else. I know because I lived that life one time. But we've been encouraged. Just three weeks ago, it'll be today, one of the young girls we've been working with, the young girl Grace, uh, sought the Lord. She's been attending um, our congregation in Lurgan. And you could please remember this little girl, this young girl in your prayers. Grace is 24 years of age. And she's still, when I say a long way to go, it's wonderful the Lord saved her. But um, when you're coming out of a, a drug past that she's coming from, there's baggies there and we've been dealing with some problems and issues this week. But she's really gone on very well with the Lord. I met her, I suppose, about a year and a half ago. And at that time when I met her in the apartment where she was living, it was just a disaster. She was heavily into drugs. She was on, in particular, a drug that used to be a legal high. It's now banned, methadrone. And methadrone is extremely popular. It's, it's one of the drugs that's causing the most problems. And this young girl has also a very long psychiatric history and she's been on very heavy medication, antipsychotics, etc. And uh, whenever I went to visit her to start, um, I was encouraging her and saying to her, you know, uh, Grace, there's a girl that we've been we've worked with over the years and this young girl was right in your shoes, as it were, having the drugs on the antipsychotics, just in a complete mess. And the Lord saved her, changed her, given her that freedom and she's now married with children and out working in a professional job and just encouraging her. But uh, over the past while, she seemed to just go right down the depths. The Lord has really reached in, saved her, and the change is real. It really is. It's been very encouraging. She got all of her old clubbing clothes. In other words, the club, the clothes that she would use to the raves and different things they got there, and she got rid of them all. She also went back and um, paid a, a debt to a taxi firm. Which, which mightn't seem like much, uh, six pound debt, but for her it was the principle. And we rejoice in what the Lord has been doing in her heart. You please pray that the Lord will just give her that needed help. Uh, coming off all of the, she's been off anti, she's been off the drugs, the antipsychotics, illegal drugs for about uh, four months now. But it's all the effects of methadone, especially in the mind. 
that has left her really paranoid and the times the mind's just racing. But you know, we've just been uh, saying to her, the Lord has forgiven your past. It's blotted out. The Lord has cleansed you. And of course, the devil would want to bring up the past. It's coming to the point of realizing God has forgiven me. I'm clean. And to go through with him. So pray for grace. Pray that the Lord will bless her. Um, uh, some of the lads uh, have sent over to different men's homes. And one of the lads that I sent over, a young lad called Michael. Well, I say young lad when you're my age. And <laughs> if you're in your 30s, you're young. And Michael's in his 30s. But Michael's doing exceptionally well. When I met Michael at the start, he was really difficult to work with. I mean, he was really hard work. He, I met him when he was living in a, in a flat in Belfast, and actually in Beaver Estate. And I said to him, you know, I can get you help. And here's, here's usually where it's what I would call the, the crunch time, the decision time. Because so oftentimes you'll hear addicts say, oh, I want help. I, I want to change. And, I, and I'll go and visit him and they'll, they'll say, oh, I want to help. I want to change. When can you get me? I said, listen, I can get you into somewhere today or even tonight. Or what about tomorrow? And they nearly collapse because they're expecting months away. Addicts don't like to deal with the present. Uh, Michael said, well, if you can get me help now, I'll take the help. But what about my apartment, the flat he was living in? And I said to him, son, you need to leave everything and seek God. Now, you got to remember that time he was not only a heroin addict, a drug dealer. He was right. His life was wrecked. I mean, it was broken. You know what he done? He took the keys. He handed them to me. And he said, get my brother to close the flat. I'm going to get the help. He walked away from everything he ever possessed. To go and get help. Unconverted that is. And as an unsaved man. He went to the men's home in Dublin. My friend Leighton Kelly runs a home. It's, it's a tremendous program. A great home. There's 15 men in it. And the testimonies that are uh, the men have. And walking with God. And just been set free. It's absolutely powerful. I, I love going down to the home. And I go down to do class and different things. But Michael went. And the Bible says doesn't it. To seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Um, Michael got converted, he <coughs> then went from Dublin and went over to Wales and he's been really doing extremely well and I love talking to him. He's only saved now, not even, it wouldn't even be four years and yet his knowledge of the Bible is exceptional. I mean, he's talking to me about different pastures that, uh, you know, bringing out things and it's just tremendous to see how he's now walking with the Lord and of course he has a great burden and a desire to reach out to others. And they're just a few of the people that we've been working with. have been greatly encouraged to see the Lord working in their lives. You know, we can't change an individual. We can't do it. But the Lord is able to do it. And the program, no matter how good, how biblical. As I said, my friend runs the men's home in Dublin. Uh, I haven't time to go into it, but it's a really strict program. They're up at 6 o'clock every single morning. And so we're getting discipline and routine back in the life of an addict. Alex in particular don't know what work is. You know, as one man said, he thought manual labor was a Spaniard. They do not know what work is. And they don't want to work. And they don't like work. But it's <laughs> biblical to work. And as we would tell them, it's biblical to work six days a week. That's what the Bible says. And you're trying to get that work ethic back into them. And uh, they're up there early in the morning. They are being taught how to read their Bibles, walk with God, come to know Christ, of course, first of all. And it's wonderful to see the change. But of course, a program, no matter how good, cannot change anyone. It's Christ who sets people free. And please pray that the Lord will work in many lives. 
I have um, been extremely busy with the work. And after this, this is my last year in children's work. Um, from after this year it finishes, I will no longer be involved in children's missions. I'll, I'll only be maybe doing one mission a year or something like that. Doing a, maybe a couple of children's days. But in the main, um, just coming right back from children's work to, to devote all my time to working with people in addiction. So pray that the Lord would really work in many hearts and lives. It's wonderful to see that young girl, Grace, come to the Lord, growing. I pray that we'll see many others. It's wonderful what the Lord has been doing. So thank you for your prayers. We're turning back to the portion that we were reading in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25, and tonight we're going to consider the words of verse 25 here in the chapter. Now we read in verse 25, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Let's just unite our hearts briefly and momentarily in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask thee to speak through thy word this evening. We pray that thou wilt take thy word, and Lord, grant to us each one that we will hear thy speaking voice. Father, we thank thee this evening for the going forth of the old evangel, the gospel of redeeming grace. Lord, we pray that as thy people, our hearts will be stirred to love thee more and to serve thee with all of our heart. For any who are unconverted, reveal Christ to them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On July the 10th, 1913, the world's highest temperature was recorded. It was a blistering 134 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, to put that in terms that we understand, 56.7 degrees centigrade. By the way, the hottest temperature that has ever been recorded in Northern Ireland is 30.7. 6 degrees centigrade. So you can see it was nearly double the temperature. Now, when we have 30 degrees, our roads melt. I would hate to uh, imagine what would happen if we had a temperature uh, twice the normal rate. The hottest temperature of 134 degrees was recorded in a very aptly named place, Furnace Creek Ranch in Death Valley, situated in eastern California. In the United States of America. Now despite being the hottest place on earth. Death Valley with its unforgiving wilderness. With a massive desert expanse. Attracts some one million visitors to that region each year. You see people want to experience for themselves. What it is to be in the furnace. To be right in the hottest place. And a large group will go and experience that. Now, Death Valley comprises of some 3,000 square miles of sand dunes. And it maintains temperatures that soar right into the three digits. Right through June to September. It was in 2000. that a woman by the name of Donna Cooper decided to take her daughter and 
a young girl who had been living with him to a particular area in Death Valley. Now, that would, wouldn't seem anything strange because Donna Cooper actually lives near Death Valley. She went to a particular region known as Scotty's Castle. It's a Spanish-style mansion built in the 1920s, and so she wanted to take her daughter and this friend. They began to set off on the journey. Her 17-year-old daughter, Gina, was driving. They made sure they had all the ample supplies, and they took not only lots of water with them, but they also made sure to pack extra clothing and blankets because Death Valley is not only extremely warm during the day, but also very cold at night. So they headed off on their journey, and they followed the trusty SatNav, the satellite navigation system. They had the GPS, and they soon realized that after one hour, following directions to take right and left and follow the sound on the GPS, that they were lost. They sought to reprogram the SatNav, punching the digits again to get out of Death Valley, but of course that was to no effect. By that stage, they tried to make a phone call, but alas, they had no coverage whatsoever on their network, and they were not able to even dial the emergency services. It's recorded how Miss Cooper and her family, her daughter Gina and this other friend, were there in that expansive wilderness, not only for one night, but into the second night, but for three days they were there. Their supplies had run dry. There was no more water. There was nothing for them. In fact, she tells of how they found what we would call, they were, the Americans would call it a trailer, we would call it a caravan, and they found this abandoned trailer there in the desert, and they managed to get access to inside of it just to lay down as they thought to die. But whilst they were getting prepared inside the trailer, one of the girls took a branch and she wrote upon a disused car in the sand that was covering it the word help. And their friends had, of course, become aware that they hadn't returned and contacted the emergency services, which after sending out a rescue party and various agencies, a helicopter above seen the word, came down, and the story unfolds of how they were rescued right from the very point of death. They were facing blistering temperatures. They had no water. They had no future. They were about to perish. But of course, the very first thing that was administered to them by the emergency services was a cold, clear sip of water. They had to be careful not to give them too much. It was, you see, what the body requires, what the body needs. The body can't survive without water. It must have it. They were in great need. Can I say that man by birth, by nature and practice, that he is in a greater need. You see, every man and woman born into this world is born in the wilderness of sin. Man as a sinner is in great need. He needs to be sought. He needs to be found. He needs to be rescued. 
The word of God reminds us that the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to seek and to see of that which was lost. That is his mission. He came to rescue and save guilty sinners, and we can thank the Lord for saving us. But we're also reminded about the mandate of the church. You see, the Lord has commissioned us to go and to take that message, to reach others who are out there in the wilderness of sin, to bring to them the hope of the gospel, to speak to men and women of their personal need of salvation, to challenge them, to bring them to that point where they will realize that there is cold water for their needy soul. Of course, many missionaries have left home, left country, to go and serve the Lord in the foreign mission field. In a sense, going to lands and to regions where they're going to that far country, there to bring the message and the hope, the good news of the gospel. And just as they've gone to the far country and they've delivered that good news, do you know what it's compared to? Do you know what it's like? It's just like cold waters to a thirsty soul. This evening we're going to consider the good news of the gospel from a far country. I want you to consider here the source of this good news. Now we live in a country and in a generation when so much emphasis is placed upon the news. Being being in a sense up to date with the world that is around us. You think of the advancements that have been made, especially in the field of technology, internet access, you know, able to access news that is delivered right across the globe, current affairs. Some people, perhaps you're aware, they have the headline news streamed directly to their device, whether it's a phone it's a tablet, an iPad, whatever the device is, or the computer. And there, even as they're sitting working, the news headlines uh, that will just pop up in an instant. Man wants to be continually aware of what's going on around about him. But in fact, a lot of that front page news, a lot of those breaking stories, headline news, do you know what it's all based upon? It's based upon scandal. And it focuses upon that. Which is the biggest scoop in that sense. Brings the biggest news report. You think of how much time is given to such things. The majority of news, of course, that we hear from the media, whether TV, internet, radio, the majority of that news is not good news. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Can I say that we cannot believe all that we read about and hear about in the news? There have been stories and scandals which have been proven to be fictitious, made up. They were inaccurate. They were misleading. You think of many news companies who have had to publish retractions, who have been literally sued because they've given a false News story. They've had their own agenda. Well, I want you to consider this evening and let us think that the greatest news ever to be delivered to man, the good news of the gospel, that man will ever hear, is reliable and it is accurate. 
In 1 Timothy we read, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul there was saying to Timothy, the message that we have, the message of Christ. It comes from the only, the only infallible, reliable source. It comes from God himself. And it's a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptation. In other words, he was saying, there's no reason why we shouldn't believe it. Because God himself has given us this record. Holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Lord choosing and commissioning around 40 men to write down his words. And today, of course, we have the Bible the inspired word of God in her own mother tongue. That good news, of course, has come. As you think of the source of that news, it's come from a far land. Because the good news that we have tonight, the message of the gospel has come from heaven itself. That's a far country. The place of God's abode. Can I say to man the sinner, heaven is a very far place. It is a very distant land. Man that is born in sin is at great distance from God. Sin separates us from God. It puts a difference between us and our creator. And of course, no works of righteousness, nothing that man will ever do can bridge that gap or bring us nigh unto God. Our sin puts us at that distance. In the story, the account of the prodigal son, he left Not only his father, but he left the home there. And the Bible tells us that he went into a far country. And there the emphasis is placed upon him going a great distance, going a great length to get away from the family home. Can I say in passing how tragic it is to see, especially young people, uh, doing that same thing. When I was 15 years of age, I was like the prodigal son, leaving home and going into the far country. I couldn't wait for the day that... I left home just 15. I thought, man, I've arrived now. I can go out into the world. I can do whatever I please. I can drink to whatever time of the night I want. I can have whatever friends. I can do my own thing, be my own master. All the while wanting to be free, not realized I was chained and fettered in sin. And I couldn't wait just to get out there into the world. I'm going to the far country. Nicodemus, who came to the Lord Jesus by night, They're speaking to the Lord. The Lord Jesus said, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, it's such a distant land. It's such a far away place that if you're not born again, you'll not see it. Never mind enter into it. Of course, Nicodemus was unaware of what the Lord was really talking about. He didn't understand it. Can I enter the second time into my mother's womb? I've already been born. But of course the Lord was speaking to him about a spiritual birth. Nicodemus, you've been born physically. You have a physical human family. But Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need a spiritual birth. You need a spiritual family. You need to be saved and enter into God's family. Man, as a sinner... Lost, undone, and unclean is at a distance from God. Separated from God because of sin. And heaven is a very, very faraway land. The good news has come from heaven. The most reliable source. 
But there's not only the source of this good news, there's also the substance. You see, we read here in the Word of God the content of that good news. What it actually consists of. The good news you see for sinful man, the good news that God has given to us from heaven, is the good news of the person and work of Christ. That's what the Bible's all about. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible's all about Christ. Who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ has done. You think of the good news that has been delivered. It is the good news of his life. Tells us, of course, about his virgin birth. Tells us without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, that he is not only the Son of God, he is God. Tells us about his birth. It tells us also about his perfect life. How he did no sin. How he kept the law of God entirely and completely. It's a message about his life. That good news. It centers, it focuses upon who Christ is. I'm glad as a Christian that I'm not only able to say that Jesus Christ died for me. And what a tremendous truth that is. But as a Christian I can also say Jesus Christ lived for me. You see, to enter into heaven, man needs a perfect righteousness. Perfect standing before God. The reality is that we do not have it. That we have fallen short of God's glory. That we're condemned and lost because of our sin. Jesus Christ has not only paid the price for sin, but thank and we praise God that the Lord Jesus has lived that perfect life. And when you're saved by the grace of God, that perfect life is imputed to you, received by faith. In other words, God views you as he views his son. Perfect. It's the good news of his life. It's also the good news of his love. Tells you to see how the Lord Jesus went to the cross at Calvary. Now when we think of the laying down of life voluntarily and sacrifice we see the greatest demonstration when the son of God laid down his life you see every every man a woman born is destined to die but Christ the eternal son of God he who did no sin Led down his life. There. As he went to the cross at Calvary. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. That he died voluntarily. That he took our place. That of his own volition. He led down his life. A ransom for the many. In the Old Testament. The Lord taught his people. About how serious sin was. In fact. The time when they were moving through the wilderness and they came to worship the Lord in the tabernacle and the tabernacle was constructed, that great tent to worship God. The Lord told his people they were to bring their offering. They were to bring it to the place called the altar. And God said, the man bringing that sacrifice, oftentimes it was a lamb. And there the lamb was brought to the altar. And the man would 
bring his offering. He would bring his lamb to the altar. And God was going to show the man and teach his people about the seriousness of sin and how sin must be paid for. The man would bring the lamb to the altar. And then the man would take his hand and he would lay his hand upon the head of the lamb. And God said that he now viewed it that the man's sins were being laid upon the lamb. They were being transferred to the lamb. Then the man had to take the knife and he had to kill that animal. The lamb, you see, must die because now the lamb was bearing man's sin. It had been laid upon the lamb and the lamb became the substitute bearing the man's sin and it had to die. And the man there was going to learn many important truths. One of them, of course, being the very serious nature of sin that God is holy and sin must be paid for. God just can't overlook sin. He must punish sin. And there the lamb died in the place of the the man. And of course it brings us to Calvary. When the Lord Jesus Christ voluntarily died as our substitute. Died as the lamb of God. That taketh away the sin of the world. When our sins were laid upon him. He the Holy One. Bore away our sin. The sinless. The spotless. The pure one. The Holy One. As our sins were placed in him, he willingly paid the price. You see, the word of God focuses, this substance of this good news, it focuses on the love of Christ, who Jesus Christ is. It also focuses not only his life and his love, but also on his liberty, the liberty that there is through Christ. You think of how Christ not only died and paid the price for sin, but how on the third day God raised up his son from the dead, you see, God accepted the sacrifice of his son. There the Lord Jesus Christ arose triumphant over death, hell, sin and the grave. He is able to break the power of cancel sin. He's able to set the prisoner free. What a mighty saviour we have. And he's not only risen from the dead, but he's ascended into heaven. He's a coming king. One day soon he will return again. And so the good news of the gospel focuses completely upon who Christ is. Now here in Proverbs 25, and the verse 25 we read, As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And here Solomon employs the use of a simile. Now I must confess, I do not know very much about uh, English grammar and the English language. Um, as a man would say, I know how to murder it um, each week, but... Uh, I'm, I'm assured that it is a simile he's using here. And he's making a comparison. And he's saying, you think of the cold waters to a thirsty soul. Think of a man there in the burning heat of the day. Think of his need for water. And think of how valuable, how precious it is. And then the comparison is made here. So is good news from a far country. In scripture, there are many examples and illustrations of those who were in need of water. Now, we're not going to take time to turn them, but in Judges, we read about Samson and how Samson slew 1,000 men with the jawbone of an ass. And of course, that emphasizes the need that God is able to take anything and use it mightily in his hand. Who would have thought that taking a piece of an animal and using it would become like a sword, a great club? We read there about how Samson, after that event, Became very weary and very thirsty. He came to the point where he almost felt that he was going to die. 
And he actually entreated the Lord. And he prayed and he sought God. And he said, Lord, after this great victory, are you now going to leave me to die? And we're told there that God clave, God made a, an opening in the hollow of the jawbone. And there was water and he was able to drink it and be nourished. You think of Hagar in the wilderness who had taken her son Ishmael there and placed him under a bush. And she left him there to die. And she felt that both she and the lad were going to perish there in the wilderness. But we read that God heard the voice of the lad. And there she was able to give him the water. In Exodus chapter 15, we read about the children of Israel. They left the bondage of Egypt. They left the tyranny, that rule, Pharaoh. They'd gone through the midst of the Red Sea, God parting those waters, making a way. And now they travelled three days into the wilderness. Three days. And we find there that they came to the waters of Marah. But they couldn't drink of them because those waters were bitter. And there they were in great need, tremendous need. They were out in the wilderness. And there was nothing to meet their need. And that's just a picture of sin. There's nothing that will satisfy out there in the world. Oh, how many people are looking for it, but they won't find it. Satisfaction is not in drink, drugs, and the things of the world. They don't satisfy, they destroy. And yet... The people, they turned and they began to blame Moses. We read how that Moses cried to God and the Lord showed him a tree. And that's the remedy, the tree. It's a cross. It's a picture of Calvary. Whenever the tree was cut down and then it was cast into the bitter waters, the waters were made sweet. We think of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's son, who went to the tree, who went to the cross. He was cut down. But oh, he has made the bitter waters of sin sweet to the soul. We're converted and we're saved. You see, water revives, brings to life, refreshes, it relieves. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me, he shall never thirst. That's spiritual life. In Christ alone. I wonder, do you realize your need? If you're not saved, you're out there in the wilderness of sin. But in closing, we not only see the source and the substance of this message, but also, just very briefly, the scope of this good news, this message. We're told here that it comes from the far country. But can I say that the good news of the gospel is a message that is presented to all? The whosoever will may come. In Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 we read. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. The Jew is bidden to come. The Gentile. The rich. The poor. The religious. The irreligious. All are bidden to come. The scope of this good news. It is broad. It is deep. It is wide. It extends to the four corners of the earth. Whosoever will can come. They can partake of this life-giving stream. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we read about a young man who was found by David and his men in the, out there in the wilderness. David had basically 
returned home with his men to the city of Ziklag. The whole city had been burnt down. His family had been taken captive. The Amalekites had come, you see, to the city of Ziklag. They had burned it, destroyed it. And they took David's family and many others and the children of Israel. They took them away as captives, as prisoners. There they were fleeing with their, with their families. And David and his men set off to find out their families, to look for them, to search for them. And on that search party, as we could term it that way, as a search party went out, they came across a young Egyptian in the field. And the young man was brought to David, and David said to him, To whom belongest thou? In other words, who are you? Who do you belong to? And you know what he said? He said, I am an Amalekite, or I am an Egyptian servant to an Amalekite. And three days ago, my master left me because I was sick. He confessed there that he was part of the team, part of the party that had raided David's city, burnt him with fire, who had done him harm. Then he spoke about how his master left him to die in the wilderness. That's just a picture of what the devil does with young people. That's what he does with his soul. He promises everything but delivers nothing. How often times when I've worked with young people in addiction, have I heard them say, if only I realized where it would all end, I would never have started. It's only the first one. Of course, it doesn't end there. But we're told about that young man, that young Egyptian lying in the field. It says in the verse 11, that they found an Egyptian in the field, brought him to David, gave him bread and he did eat, and they made him drink water. Now I got two things, bread and water. Because that speaks to us of sufficiency. That's all our body needs to survive is bread and water. We can live in that. When we think of the bread and water, it reminds us. It's a picture of Christ. All we need is Christ. The bread of life. The fountain of living waters. That's all you need is Christ. But then they give him a piece of cake. Two clusters of raisin, raisins, a cake of figs, should I say. Two clusters of raisins. In other words, that speaks to us. God doesn't just meet the need and give us what we need, but he gives us so much more. He blesses us so abundantly. But here's the thing. It says here that they gave him a piece of, a cake of figs, two clusters of raisins, and when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. Now this young man had been lying for three days. Three nights. The body can do without food. It cannot survive without water. He's at the point of death. David speaks to him. He sets before him bread and water. Do you know what he had to do? He had to eat it. It wasn't enough that he knew about the bread and water. He had to participate. He had to feast on it. And that's the same with the message of the gospel. As you hear of your need of Christ as Savior, and as you're told that he is a bread of life, he's a well of salvation, he's all you need. It's not enough just to know about him. You must partake of him. You've got to come to him. You've got to trust him. And when that young man, when he ate him and he drank, you know what happened? His spirit came to him. He revived. He was brought back in the very place of death. And not only is he brought back in the place of death, but he went out and he began to serve David and he got a new master. That's what God is able to do. Good news from a far country. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, 
so is good news from a far country. Have you partaken of that cold water? Have you partaken of Christ? Are you saved? The day that I got converted, I was broken. I mean, my body just could take no more. Could take no more abuse. Living in sin. And that day, whenever I sought the Lord and Christ found me, do you know what it was like? It was just like being in a wilderness, about to perish with thirst. And you're given that cold water. And you're revived. You're brought to life. What a great saviour we have. He's able to save to the uttermost. May God bless his word to our hearts this evening. For Jesus' sake. Now time is gone so we're not going to have a closing hymn. We'll just bow together in prayer. Pray that the Lord will speak on to our hearts. Heavenly Father. We ask thee to speak on to us. This evening through thy word. We want to thank the Lord for the very day and hour that that good news was delivered to our souls. And it came just like the cold waters to a thirsty soul. I want to thank the Lord for what Christ means to us. We don't deserve anything from thy hand. Yet, Lord, here we are tonight, seated, clothed in our right mind. We have to confess and say, it's all because of Calvary. Lord, we owe to thee absolutely everything. Our life, the very next breath that we take, the strength, everything we owe to thee. We want to ask thee to speak on to our hearts, help us to realise that men and women out there in the world are depicted in what we read tonight. They're just out there in the wilderness of sin. They need to be told the good news. Help us to deliver that message. Pray for any who are not seeing, that thou wilt work in their hearts. Separate us in thy fear and favour and watch over us throughout the remainder of this thy day. Take us to our homes in safety. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs>